0: Hey, Connie, I wanted to thank you for joining me today. Our first in the series of practical project management that you and I have talked about for years. You're welcome. I wanted to um, devote this episode to project sponsors. And I know um, for many projects you've worked on, you've dealt with a variety of different project sponsors. And I, I wondered what what your thoughts are about, let's just start off, my first question is what percentage, roughly of course, not scientific, of technology project sponsors, and let's qualify them, that they have a budget over $10,000. What percentage of them do you think are actually prepared for their role?
1: I think it's very low. And it's, it's interesting because I think when you qualify them in that group of over $10,000, you see the percentage go even lower than the group under $10,000 um, because of the nature of the organization that the project sponsor works in. Typically, that's been my experience. Uh, there there could be other uh, other organizations that are structured differently, but my experience has always been state and federal government when you're at that level of, of a budget.
0: So you're saying under 10000 you it would actually be a higher percentage? Yeah, I I
1: think Are so. Um, like
0: like like in the commercial side or the private sector for smaller project that maybe the project sponsor is more hands on, maybe that number is kind of the dividing line between is that what you were thinking or
1: Yes. Yeah, because I mean that's been my experience. Because in the in the smaller group, they're they're more in tune, it was their baby, they wanted to do it, they Whoever the sponsor is, got the. they were the driving force in the project's existence. And in the larger organizations with a large budget, often the project sponsor is somebody that is ladder climbing or has been handed someone else's project. It seems like it was a little more rare that they were, once the project takes off, that they were the person that initiated it and that stayed involved. and But e- even, even when that's the case, they just don't, my experience has been that it's a low percentage that actually understand their role. They just want this thing to happen and got some money for it and they've handed it off to a project manager and think, okay, you know, go make it happen. And I don't have to just tell me when it's done and I'll be happy about it.
0: So where do you think that failure is? Is that, I mean, because if you're talking about federal and state, you know, projects, and if you're talking a formal project, you, you know, you've got a budget of some type of size, then who's failing in the preparation of the sponsor?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not sure um, if it's just the culture of we what we think project management is, that we haven't The industry hasn't defined what's the sponsor's responsibilities, Um, so they don't, you know, they're not in tune with, they just know that they have a thing they want, and they don't know how to get it, but they know that project manager over here is supposed to be an expert in how to make this thing happen.
0: What are some of the worst experience? Do you have any examples that come to mind of you know the the least <clears throat> prepared project sponsors?
1: Well, see that's the thing. I had some very large projects, and as a project manager with the state in the past, and I can't tell you who the project sponsors were for the biggest ones. Like I have never met the project sponsors, so I don't. I can't really give you experience of what did that person do wrong because I didn't know who the person was, and it was just some mystery person that you know, read my status reports.
0: That's right. And I forgot that you were actually in a project manager position, but yes. what about thinking back when you worked as a contractor on a project, <laughs> yeah. were there any projects there that really <laughs> the lack of preparation for the sponsor um, really was harming the project or made it more difficult?
1: You know, one comes to mind that it's a good example but again, the ones that were harmful, the project sponsor was not clear to me who that was.
0: Wow! I mean, was- so you had a project, you, either you were managing or you were part of the project, and you didn't even know the sponsor.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've I knew the contract monitor. You know, like there was a person who was tasked with making sure that we were following the contract and the agreement, but they still weren't the project sponsor. And that person often was misguided. They were so busy being the project policeman that they would often get in the way of the goal because they didn't have the vision of what the goal was. Well, Um, who did? I don't know that anybody did. I think that's why some projects struggle the most. One, One example that comes to mind, I didn't know who the project sponsor was at the beginning, but what I saw, my project manager meet with a representative on the other side that I don't actually think was the project sponsor. They were the person who project sponsor handed things off to and they like became... The,
0: the SME, the subject matter expert perhaps? Yes. And we were fortunate because the subject matter expert was truly,
1: truly driven to make it happen because they, were, they lived down in the weeds, they understood the problems or they, they came from the weeds. And they understood the problems of the worker down in the weeds that had the problems. But they also were now in a position of management and they could see the 10,000 foot view and they could understand, Okay, well, we need to unburden the worker of these things we can unburden them of. But we still have to hold the worker accountable. And that's a balance that you don't see in project sponsors very often. Because if they didn't come from the weeds, they, they tend to ignore those critical things of how do I unburden the worker? And they just look at technology. Um, uh, I'm not really explaining this like I mean to. No, I, don't I, wanna- I,
0: I think what you're saying, see if I've got this right, that what you're doing on a project is uh, driven by those goals that were envisioned by the project sponsors organization to begin with. And the subject matter experts, if you're given, you know, representatives that only have the management goals in sight, but they've never actually worked the processes, or they're not close to the processes, then they don't, maybe they can't represent the change that needs to occur. So, so do you think then, are you saying that, that's why you have two different roles. That's why you have a subject matter expert. That's why you have the project sponsors, because I mean, if you have only leadership that says we're going to, by golly, this has to be cutting edge technology and ignore the subject matter experts, then you don't have the balance that you need to steer in the project.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, So there's two projects that I can think of that come to mind that's very easy for me to speak on. One was a fantastic project sponsor, and one was a very disconnected project sponsor. You know, so Mike Fisher, who was an amazing project sponsor, had the project for um, training. When the state um, agency first moved from mainframes to personal computers for their workers in this department, They selected a clerical person from every county to become a new, I think they were called social program technician or some goofy title, but these were women mostly who knew very little about computers and they're suddenly going to become the computer expert in their county because they had the most knowledge of, they knew how to use the fax machine and the printer, and they had more knowledge than anybody else and this was the only way. So they're going to have to train these people and catch them up on technology before the rest of the county gets done. And he was instrumental in that and he was involved and he understood that he's dealing with middle aged people who've been doing this job for their half their life and suddenly were introducing technology to their paper job. And he stayed involved with a project manager and He actually came to some of the classes to see what it was like. At that time, my role was just, I was just a trainer and nothing more. And I was one of 10. But by the time, at the end of the project, they kept asking me to come back to do special classes because he had money left over. And he recognized that, well, we trained them all on the little checklist that, you know, some... IT consultant recommended that these are the checklist of things they learned, but they still had huge gaps in their knowledge. and he used the leftover money to make customized classes because he was focused on the goal, not on the checklist, and he was interactive and he was aware and he, was, he attended the project meetings, he didn't just read the reports so And he had the difference
0: a difference between him and the contract monitor. The contract monitor is making sure things like checklists are happening.:
1: Exactly and he's looking at are we accomplishing the vision because he sees we have 77 counties and in every single county, my selected expert is, I would say there wasn't one in every county. There were several counties that had to share this expert but they were all middle-aged women who learned how to use a computer as an adult and um, they knew how to do their job but how to use a mouse and a keyboard. That was a well, not the keyboard, but using a mouse. I'm, I promise you, we spent a whole day on teaching them how to use a mouse with. So I'm, I'm getting too far in the weeds on that. But
0: no, 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 I no, I don't think so. I think we should establish probably that this was quite a while back. And it's not that you're disparaging women. You're just saying that at the time when this occurred, that administratively you know there was not a lot of computer training and not and they didn't they just didn't have expertise with the computers
1: and so i want to clarify this was in the early 90s i mean the internet i at the time i remember teaching a class on what is the internet (laughs) and how to use netscape (laughs) yeah okay yeah so that was a while ago yeah and 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 getting people to understand that microsoft word and microsoft windows were two different technology, you know, one was a operating system, so, so this was in the early days of personal, not the early early days of personal computers, but these were people that didn't have computer classes in high school, you right. know, they were focused on doing their job, they were the problem solvers, they selected these people based on their skills, their okay. interactive human problem-solving skills, and said, okay, we're just gonna fix your technology problem so that you can be the technology expert for your county that's quite an undertaking if you really that was the goal of that project was to take these group of unskilled no computer skills whatsoever people who were experts at what they do and say okay i'm going to make you a double expert you're going to become an expert in the technology that we need and you're going to stay an expert in what we do and you're going to become an expert in the technology that we need and i'm going to educate you and we're going to grow you into this and that if we had not had the project sponsor if we'd had a hands-off project sponsor that just then all that would have accomplished is we would have trained these people on technology and they would have been so frustrated at the end of it they would have either failed or used their new skills to go job hunting and work somewhere else But instead, we made them into county experts and we grew them into the elite of the elite and gave them the, I mean, that was part of his project was to grow them and create an atmosphere where they can grow and develop and become successful. And if in a hands-off project sponsor situation, you have the opposite impact where you would have just had. You would have had an incredible turnover of a different project sponsor because it was a very difficult task. And it was uh, if you were to interview those people, most of them stayed there till to retirement. They would tell you that he was critical um, because they were in an antagon- antagonistic type relationship with their centralized um, data services department. And, it, and he was the glue that brought everybody on the same page
0: so without naming names can you go <laughs> we will protect the guilty here we we'll, we can praise <laughs> praise the innocent and protect the guilty here but so can you give me some examples of really poor project sponsorship
1: oh yeah you know i have one and and let me say i have the utmost respect for this person i'm not going to name him but um and i'm not 100 percent sure he was the original project sponsor but he was the director and, and, and i'm the director the top dog and it was a project that would spent uh 2.8 million dollars and it failed it didn't work and at the beginning i no one can understand why it didn't work i came on board and you, you realize first of all that it has no direction it's finally got a new project manager who's who's now on the ball he comes from military background and he is all in pmp and this. You know, he's trying to put processes in place and um, but he's got no leadership from above that has an understanding of what is the goal of this project. And this project was a multi department project. That, uh, it was actually a multi agency um, project, but it, it failed miserably. I think and, I know which project this is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and fortunately for me, I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs>
1: well, What what became clear to me when the project failed so miserably that lawyers on both sides were involved because you Mm -hmm. had lawyers from the technology partner that's providing the project Mm -hmm. and lawyer there was multiple technology partners. That's your first mistake. Is there wasn't a single point of you know, I, I usually refer to a single point of contact as a single point of failure, but there was no single point of accountability either. But what became clear to me at the beginning is that no one actually knew what the goal was. The project itself didn't have any goals. It just had some, this beautiful wish list of, we wish you could sprinkle fairy dust on this and everything would be great. And so the project was doomed from the beginning because it had no direction, it had no goals. And you had a subject matter expert who, you know, was a loose cannon and was able to, because he was the one that understood the technology and because those above him didn't understand the technology, they didn't understand the goals, no one had a vision, he was able to just run loose with it and do whatever he wanted. And that, to the tune of $2.8 million, yeah. just wasted. And and when once we had someone in the middle, project manager in and a functional manager that were working together, and then they brought some new staff on and, and tasked me with taking over as the subject manager expert. I started becoming aware of, okay, I don't understand what we're trying to do and what's our vision. And we started bringing the heads of the departments in and having meetings and getting understanding of what's our goal. And well, how would we know that's our goal because it's not even in our project charter. I mean, that's, this is, you know, and we, we revised it and we got it operational. It wasn't successful yet, but it became operational. But what's interesting is I got the privilege to an, to attend an executive team meeting. And this is a, important because I think that this is the culture in many places. And in this meeting, everyone was sitting around the table with the head guy at the top. It would be the like if you used to watch the Trump show. I can't even remember what name of his show was called.
0: The apprentice.
1: Okay, yeah. You have Trump at the end of the table and then you have all the apprentices there. Everyone comes there with a happy report to pat him on the back and tell him all his ideas are great and everything is wonderful. I was shocked because I was the only non-executive in that meeting. And they're all saying, Oh, this is wonderful and this is good and this is good and I realized they're just sucking up to him and they're telling him what he wants to hear because they're protecting themselves from each other and from whatever. And when it came my turn, because he wanted an update, I started with, well, that's not going to work. And you should have seen the room. <laughs> Everyone <that> t- <laughs> was terrified of what was going to come out of my mouth. And I could see, you know, if they could kick me under the table, well, they would have an
0: reputation.
1: <laughs> <I know. laughs> And so of course I changed my demeanor because I realized, okay, my boss is also sitting in the room and I can hear in my mind, he's telling me you're being disrespectful, tone it down. So I changed it to some information that you might not have, you know, (laughs) instead of, because it was his idea. Right. And some information that you might not have is this. And because of this problem, this thing over here, you know, isn't going to work on that timeline or whatever it was, but, It came clear to me that day, no one had ever spoken to him that way before. And from that day on, he contacted me. I was just the subject matter expert. I was not the project manager. He contacted me directly on on a regular basis for updates and to go over it and he and the project manager and I went over things together and he started becoming more involved. And it wasn't until he started becoming more involved that I started understanding the big picture vision for this project because until then I was somewhere in the weeds and I knew why it didn't work and I could see some middle management, but I didn't have, and that was, that was critical. He brought the 10,000 foot level to me so that I could see the importance of it. And I brought the, okay, that's pie in the sky and that's wonderful, but down here on Earth, things don't happen that way. But at the beginning, he was insulated. There was a layer of insulation. He's a project manager just saying, you know, I want this cool thing to happen. You have to have someone in the middle, but you also have to have that ongoing interaction. You can't have, well, I gave you $10,000, I gave you $2 million, why don't you have it working yet?
0: It's interesting to me as you talk about this that he, he started coming to you as a subject matter expert. Where where do you think the project manager's role in that was?
1: In, in fairness to the project manager on that project, that project manager had been handed the project as a mess. It wasn't his project originally, and he was added to the project literally a week before I was. So he was having to insert himself in that to define a role, but previously, so the project sponsor, I think, had left out the project manager before because it was it was failing, and he was dealing with the other subject matter expert who just making stuff up. And so we did have a disconnect, but there was no.
0: Yeah. Sounds like it sounds like he was gonna he was continuing that with the new project manager, which you know I I would never advise that he was going to leave the new project manager out too. So yes, are you saying that that you helped to facilitate the new project manager? Becoming integrated.
1: I I would say it's a both. I helped the new project manager become integrated, and the project manager started involving me at a level that legitim legitimizing my involvement. Because before, that the project manager was left out, and and this project manager when he first came on, he could see that that the other subject matter expert he was beginning to suspect there was a problem there, and he was trying, you know, he was working against that, but there. But the relationship between the director and the subject matter expert was already kind of solid. And, you know, in the absence of any feedback of this is not managing well and this is not going well, there was nothing to break that up. And so I helped the project manager, but he helped me equally um, because I could have very, very easily just went down the same path.
0: Well, I, I want to ask a question because... Um, yeah. You know, with your personality, and I, I, you're a real get it done girl. And I think that's something that we share. And I think that my experience has been that both of us, whenever there was a void, um, have filled the void, if if that was what removed the barrier from the completion, right? If If ever you were a part of a project, and there was a, a void, and and you pointed to the void and and that didn't get filled by someone else you you would help fill it for the sake of the project but ultimately so you're talking about being a person that's going to come help fill in you know different roles and and people can take issue with that you know because you know in many organizations and just from a pure project management standpoint you know that's outside of the authority of the subject matter expert many times. Some of the things you're talking about doing yes, is beyond the role many times of the subject matter expert. Um, so standing from the outside, looking at a project functioning like that, that you're not involved in not trying to <laughs> help, you know, uh, fill in the gaps for, for people in their roles performing. What, what would you say to a project manager that came into a project where, you know, the sponsor talks directly to the implementers, right? And, and does an end run around the project manager.
1: Oh, that's, I would tell them that's a problem. I mean, and I recognize that it was a problem in my situation and tried to um, manage it and reduce it and redirect it. But most of the time your subject manager expert isn't going to do that or they're going to be unresponsive and it causes multiple problems because one you don't speak the same language you're the project manager up here and your your subject matter expert lives in the weeds they understand the you know especially when it's technology they understand the constraints and the the rules of the technology that you're using and what it can do and what it can't do
0: and they're maybe the rules of the the game of the project itself.
1: You yes. Know, where maybe yeah, depending on the role. Roles. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> but but they're not aware of the vision and you can misguide each other. Well, first of all, that's time consuming and that's time. They're the person that's supposed to be getting the work done. And if they're if Managing they're the, the
0: project <laughs> or the communication on the project.
1: Yeah, that's that's really not their role. And there's a if, when the project manager is in the middle and bringing everybody together and you know and in a lot of ways I remember being shocked I felt like when I became a project manager that I didn't really have very much work to do anymore I mean I did but it was weird because suddenly I'm not it's not my job to do analysis it's not my job to do programming it's not my job to do anything with data it is my job to coordinate all these things to make sure that my team has the things they need and they understand the vision. And it's my job to understand their obstacles and concerns and issues and then present that to the sponsor and say, you know, given this problem and this is an insurmountable problem, I don't think we can fulfill your vision exactly like you're, you know, what are you trying to accomplish? And let's redirect and that's, it's their job to keep the eyes on the goal, not on the prescribed task. And I say that because, that's the other thing that causes projects to fail is when, and we've seen this, I mean, I, I can give you examples of this that have nothing to do with project management. Is when, you know, a, a project typically is trying to solve a problem, it's trying to provide a solution to a well defined problem. But often it's not a well defined problem, or often the project sponsor said, oh, I have a solution in search of a problem, and I want you to do it. And when you have a sponsor that is getting down in the weeds and talking with the subject matter expert, they're more likely to start prescribing the solution. And then the person in the weeds is going to say, okay. And then that's when you have projects that run on $2.8 million because there's no one in the middle saying, okay, everybody, let's back up. Let's discuss our roles. Let's, okay, what is the problem we're trying to solve because the the person at the top, I shouldn't say at the top because they're not necessarily at the top, the sponsor can easily have their focus ruined by that ongoing communication straight with the subject matter expert because they lose—they can lose track of the vision. Maybe not always, maybe, maybe they don't, but it's a critical role that the project sponsor keeps the project manager involved and the project sponsor's job is to keep focus on the vision and the goal and the direction and to communicate that with project manager and the project manager's job is to be that middleman that keeps the project in the direction it needs to go. But, you know, communicates back and forth on. That yeah, um,
0: sounds like, you know, what you're allu- alluding to with this project sponsor is that they were actually dabbling in the, the management of the project themselves. They were. And being the role of, of yes. the sponsor, truly the role of the sponsor. So my final question for you is what would you say or what would you recommend to a project manager? Because, you know, a lot of times when we talk about project management and, you know, size of projects and and methodologies and recommendations for managing and, you know, dealing with your team and things like that, we never really talk about you the the and you brought this up the times when you come in as a project manager to an existing project that sounds yeah. terrible to me thats it like is that. difficult and <laughs> and
1: in fairness i only had so in my role as a project manager um all of my projects were inherited uh, with the exception of one and and, I, and, I, and my projects were large. I mean, I had a project that was a little over $6 million project. It had been going on for several years. It had been through five project managers.
0: I, I think that you and I both, in situations like that, and a lot of project managers, you know, your, your mind goes to the problem solving of what's taking place in this project and uh, between the people of the project. And so some project m- managers you know, with strong um, authoritarian styles may approach, you know, the team members with that style, perhaps to say, you know, I'm the project manager and my guys are going to listen to me.
1: Yeah. Or or maybe
0: you have to, it's going to fail, right?
1: Yeah. So the first thing you have to do is you have to get the buy in of everybody and you have to identify who has the buy in on the project and wants to, wants it to succeed and who doesn't care anymore. And then you've got to identify who are the people that are like, oh yeah, you're this one. Here's another project manager. We've been through five of you. We know what we're doing. Just you're in our way. You, you have to lead these people. They don't answer to you. You're not their boss but you have to lead them and you cannot lead them if they don't see you as a legitimate leader. If you come in there with authoritative attitude, then what's going to happen is they're going to find a way to get off your project and you're going to be stuck with someone else who knows less, who's less of an expert and which may or may not be a good thing, but the ideal situation is try to get the experts to come around and want to follow you and want Yeah. To, what's,
0: and what's the project sponsor's role in that? How much of that is their responsibility?
1: It, it is their responsibility, but they can't do it if you don't have the skills to command respect. They, they're not going to accomplish it either, especially when you're in a large organization. Where so I have a project that, that specifically comes to mind, and you know I was probably in my early 30s at the time, so I'm younger than most of the leadership that's in my project because most of my project. It was a very large project and it was a very critical project and it was a lot of management persons involved in the project as well as workers from multiple departments and they didn't respect any of the previous project managers, they didn't respect my boss at all and the sponsors of the project were outside of the organization because it was a project that was mandated to the organization to accomplish so the sponsors are legislative people but you have a there's a there's a face with that but he's very disconnected and doesn't understand technology and doesn't understand what to do but he understands the needs and concerns and they don't respect him either because they these are all people that live in the weeds and they're he doesn't know how we do this and it's a culture of the wild wild west and you have to i mean it's it truly is i mean I, can, I i can tell you my very first meeting where because i you know said we're gonna have a kickoff meeting because i need to be introduced to all these people and i need i need to know what i'm dealing with and they all need to know me and who i am and i laid all out there on the table and and just you know it's what is the nature of the universe i need to know what the universe is and i'm just taking over here and very first thing I said, I, you know, I'm just trying to get organized. Okay, where are we? And, you know, one of them pops off and says, well, we have weekly status reports. You can go read them. And, and you know, when I said, no, I need to understand, like, what obstacles do you have? And what, what problems are we having? And a grown man, almost twice my age, who's been with the agency for a long time, who's the head of the department, who has seven or eight men answered him, leans back in his chair with his arms crossed and says, I'm not answering any questions until I get my answers. And I realized, okay, we have a little turf war inside the project from departments of, <laughs> you know, and I said, okay, that's great. Tell me your questions, and let's get you some answers. And that moment was a defining moment for that project. I was exhausted at the end of that it was a three hour meeting and I, we got his questions written up on the board and I, st- he still didn't
0: cooperate with me till probably- Which role were you in? You were the
1: project manager. I was the project manager. I was project manager number and, six. And what was his role? He was just- um, A stakeholder? Yes. He was a stakeholder. He was also a functional manager for a oh, big- what, uh, One of the project team people? Yeah. Um, he was their functional manager? He's a functional manager for- a large section of the project, because okay. this project involved data security and involved, so it it touched across. Th- this project was large. And, I mean, it spanned beyond the scope of this agency, and it and it was critical. So you know, it touched across hardware, people, and. So, I mean, it was, it was multiple. It was not building software. It was a, you know, it was, we might as well have been standing up a building and installing. I mean, it was, it touched the the physical needs as well as the hardware needs and the software needs. And yeah, it was because it was a security project.
0: If I can summarize then, um. What what you're telling me is uh, you're giving an example of that sometimes in a trying to get to the bottom of of a situation or resolve an issue, sometimes you're just going to have to let uh, you're going to have to do the work. A three hour session of everybody revealing why they're angry or frustrated or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's it's sometimes what you're going to have to do. And unfortunately, if you've come aboard as project manager number six, there's probably a lot of that. Maybe the early days of your project, that's all you do.
1: It it was all that you did for like a month. That was probably all I accomplished. But I was able to understand, like there were some that were refusing to cooperate anymore because this need over here is in direct conflict of this requirement over here. And you have a person whose job it is to say we have to meet these requirements and these are serious requirements. The, the feds or the IRS says we have to do it this way and another person over here says as long as you're doing it, you know, as long as you have that way you're doing it, my thing's not going to work. And how do we meet in the middle and and it's up to the project sponsor to be the one to say this or that is an acceptable risk. And um, that's that's,
0: that's exactly what I think where we started is what is their role? Because exactly as you've indicated, you know, the the weeds, right? The, The doing of the project and sometimes the merry path that leads you on. And it's the sponsor who says, I'm okay with that or I'm not okay with that. We'll accept that risk. But yeah. you know, and 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 provide that reorientation back to the goal, so that the team can move forward.
1: Yes, and until we accomplished that, that once we accomplished that, we move forward, and we move forward in lightning speed, and it was just it was incredible, and it was impressive, and the team, the dynamics of the team started. I mean, you still had your little fiefdoms and the pissing contests, but it, the dynamics changed. But prior to that, I had. Two very strong persons who both were stakeholders who their the nature of their jobs are, are opposed because basically one guy's job is to hold the door open and let people in and the other guy's job is to keep the door closed and keep the danger out. So they're in direct conflict in the first place and they both felt like nobody's listening to me. I can't do my job because of the other guy and that happens. Not usually that pronounced, not usually that ugly, but that happens frequently on a project where you need direction from the project sponsor. And once the project sponsor says to, we'll call him Jim Bob, oh, wow, I understand the risk you're explaining to me. And okay, thank you, you know, thank you so much for explaining that. And I see that this is a risk. We're going to be willing to accept this. Jim Bob was like, okay, cool, because it's no longer his butt that's going to be crucified for accepting that risk.
0: I wanted to thank you very much. Unfortunately, we're out of time. I'd just say that. um, (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Obviously, Jim Bob is from the South, (laughs) but but that's what makes these stories fun. And I, I wanted to thank you for sharing because I really feel like, um, we have we brought up several topics to explore for next time um, talking about communication and doing the work with team members but uh, hopefully you know this highlighting the importance of the sponsor and how a sponsor can can help the project become unstuck uh, will help other projects that, maybe we're not involved with in the future, but a lot of other people are, um, maybe they're stuck right now and that's all they need is a project sponsor to step in. Well, thanks again. And I really appreciate you talking with us about this today and hopefully you'll come join us in the future.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Thanks, Connie. All right, bye.